Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Back to another installment of Battle Red Radio. I'm your host, Colt Molesky, and I'm returning for another Sunday, joined by Seth Topol. He's the host of Locked On Wild. He's one of the top hosts at the Locked On Network, also a director of a radio station, content director for a radio station in southern Minnesota. He knows the ins and outs of basically every sport you can play. Seth, thanks for joining me again post-Thanksgiving. I'm sure that you're full of food and good cheer. Yeah, and uh, I put up as many points in the first half as the Houston Texans did. So uh, all things going just wonderfully here uh, to start the week. Cheaper for the team, too. (laughs) As far as players say not to put up any points in the first half. Yeah, it's been just – it's been a little bit of a struggle, to say the least, for the old Houston Texans here as we move to the, uh, the final quarter of the season really is and you know to love it and leave it as we do every week no saturday sunday update because of course the colts were on a bye but we have we'll take a look at uh some of the nfl headlines from across the league to want to check off on the afc south competition we're also going to get to how detrimental is it for the current coaching staff building for the future if you're looking this uncompetitive in games, all that to get to. First, though, Seth, let's just take a look at this game on face value. What exactly happened? What happened was this game was over literally in the first half. This, I know that some people say that, and it's kind of a, an exaggeration or maybe uh, a bit of sarcasm. Maybe uh, you're saying, oh, it was over in the first half because it felt like there was a couple of drives that got away. No. This game literally was done in the first half. Well, and it's frustrating, too, because you look at some of the outward numbers and uh, the defense recorded five sacks of Miami quarterbacks. You held the Dolphins to 66 yards rushing and two and a half yards of carry and a rushing attack that is decent. I mean, it's not it's not great by any means, but the, the Dolphins certainly um, have shown the ability to run the ball in the past. And so you do all that, and you end up giving up 30 points in the first half. You finally get some points on the board in the third and fourth quarter, but by then it's way too late. And so we're seeing this team over the last few weeks unable to run the ball for one, which means that the only way that they can possibly move the ball down the field is by by passing, and opposing defenses just sit back and wait for it. Well, and we had all of the hullabaloo about Kyle Allen getting a start over Davis Mills. And, I mean, market difference. He had the, uh, the fumble. You have the, uh, you have the interceptions. I mean, he threw for 215 and a touchdown. I mean, really, 
lot. If you go through the box score, there's going to be a lot of this that is convoluted by the second half. In the second half, there was, what, I think five minutes left in the third quarter when they started pulling Tua and starters. Basically, it was the, the B team for Miami playing the majority of that second half. And so there's going to be a lot of stats that are, are convoluted. But if you go through the – if you watch the game or if you go through the the uh, some of the drives, drive by drive, you get a fuller picture of what this game really looked like. And you have in that – there's a couple of good things that the Texans did. It wasn't a lot, but there's a couple of good things. But for the most part, you had a team go up by 30. You had the Texans – here's their drive the, – their drive stats from the first half. You had punt for a drive that went four net yards, punt. Minus one yard, punt. 18 yards and a punt. One yard interception, two yards, punt. Nine yards, fumble return for a touchdown by Miami. And then 18 yards and a punt. Those were the drives that the Texans went on. And on the other side of things, I mean, you had, for the Dolphins, field goal, touchdown, field goal, field goal. And the one time that the Texans, you mentioned those five sacks, the only time that the Texans actually got to Tua, they had two sacks on the final drive when they were trying to put together a two-minute drive to get a touchdown and ended up settling for a field goal uh, on an 11-play, 71-yard drive. That was the only time they got to Tua. The rest of the time, I don't even think the only negative yardage that the Dolphins had before that point uh, with less than two minutes to go was penalties. Other than that, they were cruising. They looked crisp. They were getting down the field whenever they needed to. The only good thing that the Texans did was they held them to a couple of field goals and made a couple of stops in the red zone at the end of some longer drives. But the Dolphins were getting points whenever they wanted. They were taking advantage of turnovers. Uh, and on the other end of the ball, I mean, the Texans could get nothing going. And the offensive line was non-existent. They basically put Damian Pierce on ice after the first half, pretty much. I know he came back for a few snaps, but they basically went to their, their second string back for most of that game going forward. I mean, they just could get nothing operating. It was it's really It's really pretty dismal when you're looking at it. 30 points allowed. Uh, or 30 points scored by Miami. I know they had a defensive touchdown and over 200 yards from their offense. They were in complete control. Well, and you just, you're not putting yourself in a situation to really even sustain anything in that first half. It, it, the Texans ran, I think, 20 total plays, and I'd be willing to bet they had somewhere around probably 40 yards total. And by not being able to run the ball, I, it's, it's a compound problem. You're not able to run the ball, but you're also behind because the other offense is scoring either field goals or touchdowns every time they have the ball. Your offense turns it over and gives up short fields to the opponent, which leads to points. And so it just never gives you an opportunity to get into any bit of a functioning offense because if you don't score the first time you have the ball, you're going to be behind and by then, you're going to have to abandon even being able to give the – even being able to bluff running the ball. 
Like it just it doesn't put you in a a situation to have any sort of success because everything just gets completely flipped on its side by giving up points early and by not being able to do anything other than a three and out the first time you have the ball. Well, and here's the thing, too, is that, like, let's not get anything twisted. Davis Mills starts this game. The result's probably pretty much the same, right? Uh, but there's a difference losing a game by a lot by losing a game and being uncompetitive. And literally, they could not get anything going until their second unit was in there. And all of a sudden – then they're able to try and cut this too. But even in the fourth quarter when it was technically a two-possession game, they weren't throwing Tua back in there. They were absolutely fine. They knew the Texans couldn't actually do anything. This was based off of just sitting back in your defense and uh, letting stuff develop in front of you and just wanting this game to basically have a running clock down to the finish line, right? That's what Miami was playing because this game was over. And so that's when most of the stats for the Texans is accumulated is in that second half. But if you're a bad team, playing a much better team with much better pieces, what do you want to do? You want to try and shorten that clock, right? You want to try and have long drives that end up at least getting you a shot at field goals, keeping their offense off the field, making sure that you have fewer possessions in a game, not getting off the field quickly. And whatever you want to say about Davis Mills, he was able to put together several long drives for a team and at least have you feeling like they were in game, which is an important distinction because, again, it's not like the Texans really need or want to be from a a big-picture franchise perspective. They don't really want to be winning games. They want that number one pick. They want those draft picks to be really good, and so they're fine with this. But – from the perspective of the players in the locker room, the coaching staff, the fan base, there's a huge difference between losing with a purpose in a competitive fashion where you go, you know what, you can see some things, they're a frisky team and they're losing, but when they bring in these new pieces, you can see kind of the foundation and the parts of this thing that work that you can keep building off of with these new pieces, a fresh quarterback, some fresh defensive talent from a draft versus what you saw today, which is going on, but none of this looks like anything we can build off of and we need to clean house. Just going through some of the comments that I know that our page and talk, going into Texans Twitter and just seeing the buzz around, there's a lot of fans that want to clean the entire house now after games like this. And you start piling that stuff up, and then you just, maybe as a franchise you start looking and saying, can we really build off of anything that we've built here? And as defended Lovey Smith's podcast, I think it could be pretty detrimental if you stack up a few games where it feels like you have to tear it down to the stud. Because I don't think that's the direction you want to go either, is tearing it right down the foundation, trading every tradable asset, and firing everybody and starting from new. I think that extends the process by a couple of years. Well, it does, and it's, I, I think it's a fascinating character study with what Miami went through. And they had to, uh, but they weren't really sure, you know, where do we go as a franchise, where we want to take that next step. And then all of a sudden you find what seems to be the right coach in Mike McDaniel, who has definitely unlocked Tua 
uh, here this season. Of course, you have the uh, trade of for Tyreek Hill. That certainly helps. You get a playmaker to give to that quarterback, and you make some savvy moves around that as well to supplement a young offense. And Miami, at this point, they they have had some really good games this year. So I think it shows you just how important it is to really make sure that you are definitively out on a quarterback, make sure that you're out on a coach and his staff because we see it with the parity in the NFL all the time. If you get the right coach with the right team, maybe that can resurrect uh, a quarterback who's kind of been around a 500 quarterback, just needed that right coach around him with some players to accentuate his skill set. But I just, I don't, I get why it was done going to Kyle Allen because at the end of the day, these coaching staffs are measured by winning or losing games. But you got to be definitively out on Davis Mills so that whoever comes in as the next coach or GM can say, yeah, we definitely need a quarterback. Well, I think that's the hard part for a franchise like the Texans where you're pretty definitively out of both your quarterbacks and you're just kind of spinning your tires until you can get to the draft. But at the same time, you're still having to field guys and and still keep trying to go back to the well and saying, okay, so uh, while we're out, we're out on both these guys as their starters, we still have to start somebody for one of these games and look like we're doing it in a way that seems like we're actually trying to win football games here. And that's probably the tough part they find themselves in uh, as far as looking at the roster just week to week. And as far as playing a Miami Dolphins team that really in the last several years has switched gears from rebuilding, reconstructing to now, they're a team where you have pretty high aspirations as far as what you do in the playoffs right now with the way they're playing football. You look at how they got their quarterback, and it seemed like they were unsure of their quarterback. Bring out the uh, or take out the Brian Flores coaching situation. Bring in Mike McDaniel's. I uh, and maybe if you're a Texans fan, you're kind of looking and saying this feels like maybe we're a year before we get our Tua, right? Yeah, we get our guy. If you're that Houston fan, do you look at this coaching staff as the Mike McDaniels coaching staff or the Brian Flores coaching staff? Do you look at guys like Pep Hamilton, Lovey Smith, as the guys that need to be ushered out before you get your guys in to match with your quarterback? Or do you think that these could be the guys that helps that quarterback flourish? And again, I'm asking you kind of an impossible question because you don't know until they're in, right? But right. does this feel like the coaching staff that can elevate the pieces that you're adding to your roster, or does it feel like the coaching staff before the coaching staff? I th- it feels to me like the coaching staff before the coaching staff, and obviously it, it's a tough situation for Lovey Smith to come into as head coach of a, a roster that just does not have a lot in the way of talent. But if you are to find that quarterback, if you find that guy that you think can be your franchise guy, 
you want to get you know that that next wave, that up and coming offensive mind to pair with them. We've we see it periodically where a defense oriented coach is able to be successful with uh, a, a good quarterback because they have a really good offensive staff that that quarterback can go to. But how often do we see it with the young up and coming mind offensively getting paired with a young quarterback? It just it feels like that is ultimately the way that uh, that the Texans should go uh, is just to try to get both of those positions put together and then build around them. So I kind of, I feel like this coaching staff could be a little more like Dan Campbell's coaching staff for Detroit. And you know how like last year that team had some, they have some pieces. They have had a couple of really nice drafts the last few years. And last year, they didn't win a ton. They had uh, some games that were really close, and some games were absolute blowouts. But they kept the coaching staff around, and those guys to keep buying in and keep buying in. All of a sudden now, and they're not – Probably not going to go to the playoffs again this year, but they go on a three-win streak. They have four wins now this year. They're looking a little better. You're kind of seeing some, the the semblance of the team that they're hoping to become, I'm sure, in the next couple of years. And it's a little bit slow of a burn, but it feels like it was a good thing that they kept those guys around, even though you didn't really see it the first year as far as wins and losses. I feel like that could be – Smith and this coaching staff, that could be maybe the better comparison for them. I think the big difference is, and again, I'm not in their locker room every day, so I'm speaking a little blindly here, but when you watch things like Hard Knock, there seems to be a lot of guys, I'm thinking of guys like Jamal Williams, who are kind of echoing the the passions and the fire that you see in their coach, who is an older journeyman veteran player in the league, right? been out for around the block for a little while as far as NFL years is concerned. I don't know, just with like the way like Brandon Cook, that situation has gone down, things like that. I don't know if coaching staff has those veteran guys that are kind of waving the the uh, coach's flag, like I think you saw maybe in Hard Knocks with some of those, that Lion stuff. And I think that maybe could be a bigger differentiator for the future of this team, as if they're kind of just shaky uh, from a coaching coaches view the future versus how the players do, the veteran players in that locker room. That could be more of a detriment than anything else, maybe. Well, it's just it depends on where the roster is at. Um, you, you have to try to kind of find a coach – that can cater to that specific locker room. And with that Detroit team, it's a franchise that is well-documented, having uh, plenty of futility, as uh, as the Detroit Lions have had for literally decades. And so their best option, after Matt Patricia didn't pan out, was to go get more of a leader in Dan Campbell, somebody who can take a roster that, just really doesn't have a ton of success and get them to believe in themselves and coach them up uh, 
uh, to be at the very least be a competitive team that can steal some wins, but is also probably going to have some wins that they, they lose in close fashion. Just look at the situation. Dan Campbell's not, he's not an offensive genius. He's not a defensive guru, but he knows what is needed to get that team to kind of play above their element. And so for Detroit to be able to have somebody come in and maybe win one or two more games a year that you're not expected to win, and then at the floor level, just be competitive game in, game out. That's the kind of thing that can go a long way for a team that is kind of coming back up, that maybe has found some of those players on the roster to build around your quarterback, a, a wide receiver or two that, uh, that you can build around. Is Then that type of a coach becomes a hot commodity because, okay, now we have some of the core pieces that we want. Now we got to just show them how to do it. And for Lovey Smith and this coaching staff and why I want to see them hang around another year, for a bad roster with a ton of young talent that you're needing to grow up really quickly, the first half of the year, they're in all of these games. Go through the list. With the Colts, 2020, 16-9 Broncos. 23-20 Bears, 34-24 uh, Chargers, 13-6 their win against the Jaguars, 38-20 until a four, the fourth quarter happened. They were score for score with the Raiders, 17-10 Texans, 29-17 Eagles, 24-16 Giants, Commanders, 23-10, and then this blowout. And these two games really are the two games that they have looked these last two games against the Dolphins and Commanders are when they've looked really uncompetitive. And when you're trying to have a team, a really young team buy in, I'm sure weeks and weeks, even if you're in close games of losing, you start to lose some guys a little bit. They're banged up a little bit. They have some injuries. They're starting to pile up too. They're missing some defensive pieces in this game going into it already. And so all that stuff starts piling up. That's, how many wins, how many games like this Dolphins game have to pile up at the end of the season where it outweighs the good stuff that you saw at the beginning? Because I thought there was a lot of really good stuff you saw at the beginning of this season, this season where this roster is going to have some massive upheaval and you need a lot of really good talent, including quarterbacks, to come in in these next couple of drafts. And so how much of the back half of your season can be a detriment to what you did at the beginning of the season? How many more losses like this can they sustain until they do maybe think about cleaning house? Well, you look at what you've got coming up the rest of the season. Obviously, the uh, the next game on the schedule kind of speaks for itself against the Cleveland Browns. Uh, quite a bit of backstory in that game. So that obviously is going to be an emotional one to where you maybe see the team perform better than you would expect early on. But then some of that adrenaline, some of that, you know, some of that high emotion kind of wears off. Uh, the Dallas game is concerning. The Kansas City game is concerning. And then you finish off with three divisional opponents who are all having, to varying degrees, unsuccessful seasons. And so I think that's really the barometer of where you're at is how do you stack up against Tennessee, Jacksonville, and Indianapolis. If they're close, 
if they're close games or if the team can kind of, hey, these are the final few games of the season, let's get back up and, and try to kind of go out in a high note. If you see some of that, see some of that fight, that competitiveness in those final three games, then maybe that's enough. But if you continue to see this and these last two games, which have kind of got away from the Texans, if you see that over the final six to where you're just really seeing poor offense in the first half leading to too little too late in the second half, then at that point, I think if it were me, I would probably just make the changes. If you're just seeing this season kind of go pear-shaped and lead to just a lot of uncompetitive football, then I think it is time to uh, to try to bring in a, do, a new voice to do it a little differently. Yeah, and as much as I like Lovey Smith, like we know how this works, right? Like this this game against the Dolphins did not look like an NFL game in the no. second half, and then Deshaun Watson to Houston in his first game back, and he if he runs all over the place and throws up numbers in that game, and then all of a sudden the big rivalry game, Houston versus Dallas, and they get blown out early in that game. I mean, it's going to be tough. It's going to be it's going to be really tough, and it's the the short memory of sports is going to lend itself to forgetting all the good stuff you did with rookies early on in the season. And so, those next games are are really important to deciding kind of what this franchise I think is going to look like going into next season. Uh, and we'll have to see which way you talk about some of the emotion of rivalry games, the games where you have all the history with Deshaun Watson, how much that plays into it, whether that's a detriment for the Texans or whether that helps keep them frisky in some of these games. But that's the biggest thing is something to be said about losing well, even if losing isn't a bad thing. Yeah, it's it's just all about what you show. If you get down a couple of touchdowns early, are you going to pack it in? and just call it a day? Or are you going to kind of rally yourselves to make it a little bit more of a fight than you had previously thought? I think that's one of the things that uh, that the Lions did so well uh, before this little winning streak that they've been on was that they may fall behind early in a bunch of these games, but they're making them tight all the way down to the end. And you just you aren't seeing that from this Texans team and so it's going to be tough every game the rest of the way. Do they get back up off the mat after taking a, a, an uppercut in the first quarter or the first couple of possessions? That's what ends up leading you to, okay, these are players we can build around, and these are the ones that just are going to go find opportunities elsewhere. You, just, you have to see some sort of a fight some sort of a response to adversity. That's just life in the NFL. Yeah, and you've got, uh, I mean, creativity, lighten, whatever you need to do to light a fire under some people's butts, especially on the offensive line. But getting back to leaning on Damian Pierce, trying to find some running, uh, a running game that you can go back to. I mean, just getting, because he's your best player, getting him involved more. I mean, five carries, eight yards for one Point six yards per carry is, is tough. That's a tough bill to swallow. 
Yeah, it's and that's not anything that can that, that can't get you to where you want to go offensively. You have to be able to at least to just keep the defense from keying in on everything that you want to try to do moving the ball downfield via the pass. You have to be able to at least show run and with a running back the likes of Damian Pierce, you should be able to find some running lanes for him to uh, to feast on. But it's just everything that this team offensively is trying to do recently just seems like they are they are fighting with everything that they have for every yard that they get, and it just it's not enough. Let's get into some of our love it and leave it from this week before we take a look at how the AFC South did this week. But before we get to all that, let's hear from some sponsors. Okay, everybody, let me tell you all about the Adventure Begins Comics, Games, and More Adventure Stadium. That's right. We already know about the great and wonderful comics and and trading card store they have on the first floor. They also now have on the second floor a sports memorabilia store and sports trading cards. It's awesome. Get up there to the stadium right there at 525 Woodland Square Boulevard, Suite 130, the second floor above the, the original Adventure Begins, in the Marcel Town Center. Make sure to check them out. The Adventure Begins, comics, games, and more. The Adventure Stadium. It's never a good idea to drink and drive, but what if you had a few beers at the game and you know you're not drunk, but you get pulled over and arrested anyway? You need a law firm that knows how to try DWIs. Someone who won't just plead you out quickly. You need a lawyer who has spent hundreds of hours in a hands-on lab course learning the sciences used in DWI cases. A lawyer ACS qualified to be designated a lawyer scientist because these cases aren't like other kinds of cases. Your positive outcomes may very well depend on who better understands and presents the science at trial. Attorney Brian Asen is a designated lawyer scientist and the lawyers at Asen Law Firm have successfully tried and won many of these cases. Call Asen Law Firm at 832-209-2297. That's Asen Law Firm at 832-209-2297. Or visit DWILawyerHouston.com. It's time to trade in your face masks for masks, load up the hoppers, and go to war with your friends. Too hot? Too rainy? Too cold? Splat Zone Indoor Paintball has you covered. Literally. It's Splat Zone Indoor Paintball. Round up the family and get to 11260 Hempstead to check out Splat Zone Indoor Paintball today. Family friendly, low impact activities for everybody. Go check them out. 11260 Hempstead, Splat Zone Indoor Paintball. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're getting to our final few segments of the day before we head out 
So first, we're going to get to our weekly segment, Love It and Leave It. This is something that we loved this week, want to see it next week, and something that we would like to leave in this week. I think we can probably leave Kyle Allen starting in this week. Yeah, I I would leave really any part of the the offensive game plan from this week. I would just leave it here. Uh, it wasn't all. He just never seemed comfortable. No, and it wasn't it wasn't all Kyle Allen's fault by any means. But it just looking at some of the decisions, you know, the the number of short passes, the number of times where you go run run pass for a three and out. It, it just they were doomed from the start. And if you are struggling to get even first downs offensively, you absolutely can't afford for negative plays or penalties. And so those ended up killing a few other drives to where they're behind the sticks right off the bat. And it's just, it's too much to try to overcome. So I'm, I'm fully on board for leaving every single portion of the offensive game plan in Miami uh, moving forward. Yeah, and I mean, like, the offensive line played horribly. They were down pretty quick, which I get can kind of force teams into a certain type of desperation as well. But I just – I don't understand what he gives you that you didn't have. And he just didn't seem comfortable. And it's not like – I don't know. He's not giving you some X factor that Davis Mills was offering you. Uh, and it felt like at least Davis Mills had a better command of the playbook, at least in some of these games. Again, I guess it's been a tough spread the last few weeks. You can go back to the Giants game, really. But still, I, I just don't – I feel like we could probably leave that in in this week, honestly. Uh, one thing I did love from this week that I wouldn't hate seeing going into more weeks is the production from the tight end. I think if you're struggling with things uh, like moving the ball, things like getting the running game going, uh, finding stuff over the middle of the field, finding quick passing, uh, which also lends itself to stuff like if you're doing some uh, some bootlegs, some, uh, some play action stuff, your tight ends are naturally going to be dragging over the field on a lot of those type of plays as well. I think getting them involved, and I get that there have been, it seems just a revolving door of who's going to be good at tight end this week. But it feels like there's been a couple of weeks now where Aikens has really, Jordan Aikens has shown up and really delivered. And he'll take, there's lots of times, most of his big catches, he did again today on the 25-yard touchdown, where it's a 25-yard, it goes down as a 25-yard pass, but, when you go back and watch it, it's really like a 10-yard pass. They take 25 yards. He's bulldozing people over. He's done that several times this year. He feels like maybe now that Brandon Cook seems like he's just in cruise control or just getting double covered all the time and not even open or not even available because of the coverage just swinging towards him because Nico Collins and Chris Moore have been non-factors. But it feels like Aikens might be their best receiving option now based on all those all that stuff. So getting him more involved, I think, would serve this offense route well. And maybe running more stuff where you do have a few tight ends going out for passes, doing three tight end sets, where instead of running the ball, it's all of a sudden there's guys out running routes and 
you you have a little bit of a a play action pass to three tight ends who are running all over the place and try to do some more of that kind of stuff. I think that might serve this offense well, but it just feels like when you have young quarterbacks or struggling quarterbacks, uh, those tight ends can present some way, some easy passes to get them going. And so getting him the ball more, I think would only do them well. Um, my love it for this week, I'm going to go with the defensive front in general, because I feel like that unit did their job. I mean, they recorded five sacks collectively. I know one of them was, was in garbage time when Skylar Thompson was in for Tua, but they still sacked Tua four times. They held the, uh, the Miami rushing attack to two and a half yards of carry. And, you know, you really didn't, with the exception of a couple of pass plays, you really didn't see you know a ton of the big plays from the Miami offense. They had a couple of really short fields due to turnovers that led to uh, a portion of their points. So I would say the defensive front collectively did some really good things. And you know you, you look at the numbers, Miami. I mean they they got some yards on the board for sure, but. Again, I say it didn't necessarily do anything super explosive. So I, I would like to see more of that just with the expectation that the offense is going to start to get some things figured out because the, the defense, by and large this season, has been, uh, has been carrying the load considerably uh, between the two units. Yeah, I mean, you look at... Obviously, there's plenty of blame to go around, but the offense really not helping out the defense. Turnovers, three to one. Time of possession, uh, Miami led that by almost six minutes. And you think about how long their backups were in. So uh, I don't have the, the numbers of time possession by half in front of me right now, but I'm sure that's pretty abysmal as well. Uh, just looking at the possession meter <laughs> over the course of the game. And so the defense, the offense was helping them all at all. In fact, they were helping the other team more than their own defense, but they were able to still keep them to 30 points, all things considering it could have gotten a lot worse. And if they didn't hold up a couple of times in that first half and hold them to field, hold the Dolphins to field goals as opposed to more touchdowns, it could have been really, really ugly. And despite how lopsided this game was, it still hit the under, surprisingly. Well, so you're right. It it could have gotten more out of hand. And you and you look at the you look at this too. So one of the touchdowns was after Kyle Allen threw an interception deep in Houston territory. So that ends up being a touchdown uh, after the. So it was an interception. It was returned to the three yard line. Miami scores the next play. So you don't turn the ball over there. That leads to a more difficult score for Miami. They also had a fumble recovery touchdown as well. So those two things don't happen right there. You take those 14 points away. The defense has has the defensive numbers look much better and it's just those two plays that were turnovers by the offense that led to points directly. Is there is there a game this season where you wanted to see less of the second half than this game? 
Uh, is there a game where you you saw everything you need to see from all four, all all six units, and it became very clear that the the Texas defense was uh, was playing, the Texans offense was not playing, uh, the special teams for both units was doing everything it could, the offense for Miami felt like it was kind of in cruise control. For mo- even before the st- backups came in, it kind of felt like they were in cruise control for a lot of this game, and the defense was playing with its ears pinned back. I just it felt like on the first like six drives, we had figured out everything we needed to know about this game. Yeah, I think I think that's probably an accurate depiction. Um, just you can't go. I, I'm not a huge fan of going three and out ever. But three and out on scripted plays, these are the ones that are supposed to work like in sequence for your offense. And I can't recall, I would have to go back and look, but I can't recall over the last few weeks if the Texans have done anything other than just strictly three and out on that opening series. It's, uh, yeah, it's, I'm sure whatever company they keep with those stats, it's not not great. <laughs> yeah, we're not we're the, going not the records you want to set. We're going to a little bit of a dark place. It's I mean, the offense is in a, a bit of a dark place, so it makes sense to talk about this game that we would travel down such a route, but it was it was a tough performance. But you're right, the the defensive front, there was some nice moments. I uh, it just seems like it really you go from at the beginning of the year, finding all sorts of silver linings in losses to really having to scrape the bottom of the barrel to try and find some positives from each one of these Texans games. And this one, Miami's just such a better team. It's, it's crazy. I am doing this as we speak with the hopes to having the answer by the time we finish recording. But so far, the, uh, so far the offense has, in f- the first three games of the season – three and out on the first series. Uh, Now in the fourth game against the Chargers, uh, there was an interception thrown on the first series of the game. So we'll see if by the end, if I can find anything other than a three and out. Nope, here's another one against Jacksonville. Um, Yeah, it's not looking good. And that's a pretty big, because we know Lovey Smith is the defensive guy. Yeah. So... That's a pretty big indictment of Hamilton's scripted plays. Yes, and actually against the Raiders. Despite the shortcomings of the offense. Against the Raiders, the Texans went nine plays, 54 yards, and missed a field goal. But you're six games in. You're five games in already at that point. Like That's the first time that the team has either not turned the ball over or gone three and out. Well, and here's the crazy part. Bad the the weapons and the things for just all the pieces on offense for this team is. I don't know if that means that you have to fire Pep Hamilton as your offensive coordinator, or if that's just a statement on how bad the weapons are for the Texans. I think it's a little column A, a little column B. Okay, now I finally have found um, successful points. It was against the Eagles, ironically. Nine plays, 75 yards, and a touchdown. But beyond that, it's been three and out or turnover 
every opening series. And so, yes, part of it, I think, is, hey, we don't have a lot of talent offensively on this team. But, I mean, you have to at some point just say, well, here's what works, and we just are going to have to go to that repeatedly to try to come away with some points here. Yeah, if if your scripted play calling is working that poorly, and again, you mentioned how many times there's a turnover early on in the game, too. I know that doesn't help, and he's not the one throwing passes, but that's a pretty big indictment of your your OC. The Texans have given up um, the via defensive score the same amount of points as they've scored on the opening drive this year. Gross. That's yeah. pretty gross. We don't need to dwell on that anymore. <laughs> That's pretty gross. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, what a team! What a time to be alive. <laughs> let's uh, let's look at before we head out here. We, we're gonna wrap things up, folks. But before we do that, let's take a brief look at how the NFC, uh, or the excuse me, the AFC South performed. By the way, I believe I said the Colts were on a bye this week. That is not true. I totally forgot they played Monday night against the Steelers. Not on a bye. We just could not have the Saturday-Sunday update because he's coaching tomorrow. But as far as the AFC South is concerned, just take a look at the NFL. Titans lose at home in a tight game 2016 to the Bengals. And you have the Jaguars in a thriller winning 28-7 to against the Ravens, a game that was almost as shocking as the Jaguars mascot. Uh, some some interesting performances. This is just going to be the division where basically any game that you that these teams are taking the field, you're not really 100% sure what version of the team is going to show up. Yeah, I... I would have been shocked to see the Jacksonville Jaguars come away with a win against Baltimore, but that's a credit to, I think, what Doug Peterson is doing with that Jacksonville team. Um, 18 points in the fourth quarter certainly helps, but credit to Trevor Lawrence and uh, that feisty Jaguars bunch for coming away with the win. And we, we know with the Tennessee Titans. You know what you're getting. If you stop Derrick Henry, you're probably going to be able to uh, to beat them. The Cincinnati Bengals were able to do that today, and so they were the ones that ended up coming away with the win. But it's never going to be a situation except for Green Bay where you say, yeah, if we can stop Derrick Henry, then we're not going to let Ryan Tannehill beat us. It's, it's crazy how the more things change, the more they stay the same with uh, with several members of the AFC South. Of course, not including Indianapolis because everything has changed for them this season. And, yeah, the Tennessee Titans still roll through Derrick Henry, and uh, the Jaguars are still kind of trying to find themselves. I mean, that's, that's true, but at the same time, it is still surprising just because you have a team in the uh, – in the Titans, that is like a really good team in the red zone, a really efficient team in the red zone. And so you're holding them to a field goal inside the 
inside the red zone in the first half. They miss another field goal in the first half, again, in the red zone. And then later in the game, they're kicking another field goal from the Cincinnati six. And I, uh, and then their last field goal I'm looking at right now, it was right on the Cincinnati 20, 20. So right on the edge of that red zone area. So all of their field goals and a miss came from inside the red zone, a place where they're typically this season actually really efficient. And so again, it's one of those where you look at the box score and Derrick Henry does get stifled for most of that game. And so that makes sense because he's their motor. But at the same time, they're still able to put together drives. And it's still a team that usually does good in the red zone. And they didn't do that today. Very, very weird. But I think that's just, I think the division is kind of like a cardiac, cardiac arrest where you're kind of, the meter is all over the place on what you're actually getting from these teams week to week. And so that makes it impossible. Like, you look at divisional games. I'm not saying the Texans are going to grab some wins at the end of the season, but you really don't know what version of these teams is going to show up. The the Titans could just as easily blow out a team like the Texans as they could win a 16-13 to game. Well, and that's why it's so important to, I think, get a roster together that at the very – at the very bare minimum, is going to lose competitively because there is so much of that going on throughout the NHL this year. And, you know, it seems like it's trending more and more as we go in that if you can just be a competitive team and a team that is better than you doesn't put you away, you've got a really good chance to win that game. And so that, I think, is the thing that the Texans are chasing right now is trying to figure out what that roster looks like to be able to get it to where instead of losing every game by 20 to 30 points, you're losing every game by 10 points to one score. Like make that big of a jump and then start to kind of uh, go from there towards close losses, towards overtime losses, to then where you start to steal like, hey, we played this really, really good New York Giants team and a game that we a couple of years ago may have lost by like 10 points, 14 points. We ended up winning by a field goal. Like that's the progression. That's the spot that we just need to get this thing to. I could not agree more. I could not agree more. There you have it, folks. That's the episode. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. Hope everyone had a lovely Thanksgiving weekend and are back better than ever for the week. Hey, if you're listening to this, make sure that you are subscribing to the show wherever you found this podcast and keep coming back because we're going to have content getting you ready for the Cleveland Browns game this upcoming week all throughout this week. For Seth Topol, for your host, Colton Molesky, this has been another episode of Battle Red Radio. Battle Red Radio.